We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three. One, two, three. Keep pounding. Welcome back to another episode of The Moore, brought to you by Blue Wire. Very happy to be joined by my good friend, now at ESPN, doing big things, Mr. Jordan Reed. Jordan, what's going on? Billy, man, it's always great being able to talk football with you and I'm excited we got some great topics so I'm excited to dive into it yeah man I mean you and I we've known each other for a while I remember I think it was 2017 you and while most of like the big media was kind of a little skeptical on Lamar Jackson you and I and a few others on draft Twitter are trying to push out the narrative that this guy's a legit quarterback prospect and uh you know it's cool to finally see you know someone like yourself who's kind of started from the bottom with draft Twitter and just made his way up to the top. I mean, you put in the work, so it's always awesome to see people rewarded for hard work. So I just want to throw it out there. Absolutely. I appreciate that, man. And, you know, I kind of miss old draft Twitter. I'm not on social media as much as I used to be years ago because things are so different now, but I do miss old draft Twitter and talking about guys like that. Lamar Jackson definitely was one guy I enjoy studying. It's fun to see how his career has played out too. So, you know, I want to get started here with this Carolina's uh, draft. I mean, it was they're in an in the interesting position. Uh, Matt Rule is obviously, uh, you know, some people would say in the hot seat, but he has to deliver, uh, I mean, some type of progress. I mean, two back to back five win seasons isn't going to cut it. And now in year three, they made a big commitment to him financially. Uh, so I expect, you know, I mean, they should be, you know, trying to win. And obviously the quarterback situation is, has been talked about at nauseum this entire offseason with this franchise. Um, you know, but as you kind of projected them, you know, heading into this draft, I remember hearing you on different podcasts. I know you did a great job with Field Yates, Mill Kuyper, and Todd McShay on first draft. What kind of was your angle as far as what they should do? And maybe like what were you thinking, kind of just based on your own uh, analysis and maybe even some conversations you've had with people around the league? 
Yeah, well, honestly, I only thought there was three options for Carolina at number six overall. Honestly, it was offensive tackle, quarterback, or to trade back, especially only having one selection inside of the top 100. I just thought they probably would try to trade back. Um, I didn't feel confident with them going quarterback at six just because I felt as if they probably needed to address offensive line just because they needed somebody at that offensive tackle spot opposite of um, Taylor Moten just because they didn't seem too confident at Brady Christensen uh, at that left tackle spot just because of, you know, there's some arm length debates and some size things going on that Matt Rule didn't feel as if he had that proper link to play at offensive tackle. But so I thought they could go offensive tackle, but I thought they probably would look to trade back. Um, but I mean, they stayed on course as far as what I thought they would do at that sixth spot, getting a Kimaquanu. I thought that was the best case scenario for them. A lot of people thought he could go as early as three to the Texans or even four to the Jets. So I think him falling into their lap, him being a hometown kid, having to travel right down the road from Raleigh to Charlotte, I think that's great for him as far as his adjustment to the NFL. And then also him being, you know, being in a familiar environment as well as far as staying in North Carolina, allowing Taylor Moe to take him under his wing, but also with Carolina getting Matt Corral, I think that was a good scenario for them too, just because even though they stuck and took the pick at number six overall, I wanted to see what they were going to do after that, where they were going to be patient and wait to that second pick. I think it was at like 137 or something like that, somewhere in the 130 range of where they were, were they going to come up uh, to try to get a quarterback, especially with Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, some of the, these other guys falling to the third and even fourth round. So they were aggressive with getting Corral, but I'm really interested to see how this does play out. Honestly, Billy, just because, I wouldn't rush Corral in there, but it's kind of like you may have to just because you have to get results from this team this year. And my thing with playing the young quarterback, it may give it may give rule one more leg to stand up on if they don't do as well this year. Let's say they throw Corral in there and they win another five or six games this year. He maybe could go into Tepper's office and say, hey, we get Corral in year two. We're going to be better. We have our we have all of our draft picks back in 2023, so now we can build around this guy, continue to build up our defense too. So um, it's it's a really interesting situation, especially with Rule quote unquote being on the hot seat. There's no ifs or buts about it. He definitely does have to win games next year, but there's just no way you can put Sam Darnold out there for another, you know, string of games next year. So they're in a really really tough spot right now. Yeah, for sure. And you know, there's already been discussion that they're not totally out of the veteran market. Uh, depending on what the 49ers or Browns do with the salaries of Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield, respectively. Uh, so I, I don't think they're going to give up draft capital to get either guy. Uh, but if you know, those two are released, I certainly think they're going to make a play for them. Nick Foles is another guy that I believe uh, they'd have interest in. But we'll see. Uh, this was their first opportunity to see Matt Corral this past weekend at rookie minicamp. Uh, I didn't really see too many reports of him how he did i mean it's really tough <laughs> when you're in that environment i mean corral is a second drafted player they took so obviously you'd expect him to look uh you know stand out among the other players but yeah i want to start with the quantum first because again I, I just think the situation for carolina happened very organically but it, it was like you said a base, best case scenario because they picked yeah, they had their choice of any of the offensive tackle prospects. I personally, I preferred Evan Neal, but I'm I, I'm not going to get mad that they chose Iquano. I thought he was also like, you know, in that same tier. And certainly for me, a top five prospect, a blue chip offensive tackle prospect that, I mean, Jordan, you, you're you from this area. They haven't had, they haven't really replaced Jordan Gross since you retired. I mean, they've tried to, yeah. 
Uh, they gave big money to Matt Khalil. They traded up for Greg Little. I mean, those didn't work out. This is the first like really big in draft investment that they've made. And I remember watching you know your Twitter uh, account last year, seeing the clips that you posted. I think it was that game against Clemson where he just was annihilating people on the move. I know there's some questions about some of his past sets. He can, you know, kind of overextend, you know, sometimes and then, you know, allows edge rushers to get inside moves on him. But for you, what do you think, what do you see in his game that makes you confident that he was, you know, one of the better prospects in his class? Yeah. So just studying him early on, like he checks so many boxes as far as the character. I mean, you saw it at the combine, just how infectious his personality is how squeaky clean his charisma is and his character is overall. He just has that loving personality that you love to see off of the field. But on the field, he just completely flips a switch. And I was able to see him against Wake Forest. I went to that game to actually see him. And, I mean, he was just so good in that game as far as his athleticism. It doesn't take you very long to notice as far as him sticking out uh, amongst some of his peers. But I think just the athleticism. And then that's really, really what all of his game is catered around or centered around, I should say, with athleticism, I think he was one of the better run blockers overall in this draft. And I think he played with that physical temperament that you love to see at the position. He's able to finish guys in the ground. He's playing through the echo of the whistle. All those stuff, all those things that you can't really teach as far as a physicality standpoint with an offensive lineman. You can't teach a guy to be physical or have that want to to put guys in the dirt. So he already has that walking through the door. With the pass protection, I think there's some small things that he needs to tweak as far as the oversetting, but that's really it with him as far as just opening up a little bit too much. And that's him just trusting his athleticism and being able to recover back inside. And there were some games where he did struggle uh, with that a season ago. So I th- obviously Carolina was comfortable with taking him there with that sixth overall spot. But as far as his game overall, I mean, I think he's ready to step in from day one. Now, there is going to be – um, there's going to be some things with him um, that may hurt him a little bit early on as far as some of that oversetting. There's going to be some guys that really influence him up the field and try to come underneath him quite a bit just because they know he leaves that inside shoulder a little bit more than what you would want to or accustomed to. And that's just a part about being a rookie. That's something that he can adjust to, especially with him already having that athleticism in his corner already. He knows some of the things that he needs to get better at. But, I mean, like you said, I, I think this was a great pick for them and them having their pick of the offensive tackle. Uh, I mean, I had a Quanu slightly ahead of Evan Neal, but, I mean, it was kind of just like playing any medium mighty mo with either exactly. one of those guys. I, I don't think you could go wrong with either one, honestly. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, yeah, we are, we've mentioned Matt Corral here briefly and I want to get to him, but you know, for me, obviously the transition for any quarterback, it's going to be something that you have to project and playing in Lane Kiffin's offense, there was a lot of RPOs. And so you didn't necessarily, um, you know, see it, uh, what type of full field progressions he was, you know, executing and what he's seeing on a particular snap. Obviously I'm sure coaches when they have their meetings and interviews with him, uh, they can get a better glimpse of that. But for us on the outside, it's a little difficult. Uh, but for you, like, you know, some of the traits that stand out with Corral, I thought his arm strength was much you know, better than I really anticipated. I mean, there was that throw against, I think it was uh, Arkansas, where he just like, you know, yeah. had a clean pocket and threw like 60 yards in the air. Uh, but he also has a very quick release. Um, but for you, like when you see a, a quarterback like this and you, you're a former quarterback yourself, how do you like manage the transition going from like an RPO offense into a pro style offense? Cause Ben McAdoo, he's obviously been a coordinator and been around the NFL for years. Uh, so it, it's not necessarily going to be a very similar offense to what you ran at Ole Miss. 
Yeah, and, you know, it's always tough with rookies just because you don't want to put too much on their plate and you don't want them to be overwhelmed. But you kind of want to throw some stuff at them to see what they can handle. So it's kind of like you have the best of both worlds, especially with these young quarterbacks. But the game is so different now, honestly, just because with colleges, everything is so signal-based. And what I mean by that is with Lane Kipper's offense, with hand signals, he's telling you everything to do from the formation, the snap count, and then exactly the entire the plate, excuse me, the entire concept too. So with Corral, something as simple as calling the play from the huddle is something that he's never done before. And I remember, I think it was the Mitchell Trubisky and Deshaun Watson um, class when they were coming out, just talking about Trubisky had never given a hard count before. And then Deshaun had never called a play from a huddle before. Fans don't realize some of the small mechanics that goes into playing the position that some of these guys have never done before. So little things like that is what Corral is going to have to get used to just because he's used to the play being signaled in. He gives the call to the offensive line and they go from there. So him having to relay verbiage to these guys up front in a huddle and then having to make checks in the line of scrimmage is something that he's never done before. So it's not just him. It's every guy around the league too. All these guys were in that signal base offense outside of Kenny Pickett and Ritter. Ritter, they huddled a little bit. Then that pit, they huddled a little bit too. So Outside of those two, all these guys are having to make that transition. But with Corral, it's so different just because he never had to do any progression-based stuff. So he never had to go from option number four all the way down to his outlet, who can be the fourth or the fifth fifth option, which can be a running back or somebody like that out of the backfield. So I think that's going to be the biggest transition for him. And then in Coach Kiffin's offense – what is included in a lot of it is what is called object reads. So with object reads, you're just reading a singular player. So if the safety comes down into the box, I have a slant route behind his head. I'm pulling the ball from the running back's good, and I'm throwing it to him right now. But if he stays back, I'm just going to hand the ball off to the running back. So him going from those object reads or just reading a singular defender to now reading an entire defensive structure, that's going to be the big heel that he has to climb. So with Ben McAdoo, he just has to throw – Things, certain things at Corral to see what he can handle. And then you just have to mark off what he can handle just because when you're dealing with a young quarterback, you don't want to overwhelm them too early just because now you don't want them, what I like to call swimming a little bit too much, just because they already have to adjust to the speed of the game. You don't want to have, you don't want them to have to worry about all these extra variables on top of that, just because playing the quarterback position, you're already dealing with the avalanche of information. But if you're having to worry about these extra steps, now you're going to be slowed down even more. So, I mean, it's going to be up to Corral to see what he can handle, but that's what these mini camps and the preseason games are for. They'll have a good feel for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's always tough for quarterbacks, especially, you know, when they uh, – the entire process for Corral, obviously he was rehabbing a lot because of the injury he suffered in their bowl game. Um, and it's just a whirlwind going from, you know, the combine to pro day to all these interviews and traveling all across the country at different meetings – uh, so I, again, I just hope for his sake, he can, you know, have some downtime and kind of just detox from everything and just really get into playbook and try to make as better, like a good of an impression as he can going throughout the off season. Uh, I want to move on to Brandon Smith, uh, linebacker in uh, at Penn state. He was uh, the single caller for Brent prize defense and uh, obviously f- fantastic athlete, former five-star recruits, uh, you know, for me, I thought he looked fantastic in coverage, especially the you know ability to turn and run down the seam with tight ends and wide receivers. He had the stride length and just his overall length uh, really helped in that regard. Uh, and I, I will mention that our good friend Greg Cosell, when he joined us last week, he said Smith was very frustrating because 
Uh, he didn't see necessarily the athletic and movement measurables um, translate on the field. What do you see out of Smith? Um, I mean, I kind of understand what he's saying, but what I would say with that is you see the athleticism on tape. It just lacks a lot of material or matter with him. And what I mean by that is it, against the pass, you'll be able to see him turn and run in coverage, whether it's man or zone. He looks really pretty um, turning and running in zone coverage. He, he isn't what I like to call a grass dropper. Um, he really has purpose with when he turns and runs in coverage. He's reading the quarterback's eyes. Uh, he does everything with a purpose. But um, when you're talking about against the run, uh, you know, with his read keys, there's some things that he does struggle with as far as stepping downhill, filling in those gaps on the first level. And he kind of gets fooled by play action a lot of times, too. And that's just being very raw with the position. And that's why I think he slipped a little bit, especially when you're talking about his athletic traits with Brandon Smith. With him, he has the athleticism that you're looking for at the position. But there's just some substance that he needs to add as far as trusting his read keys and flowing downhill against the run, not being such a grass dropper against the pass and having some purpose as far as getting to his spots and pass coverage. And he got be- he got better over time and pass coverage during his time at Penn State. But there's just there just needs to be some substance added with it and some details. And it comes with reps over time. The game kind of looks like it moves too fast for him at times, especially against the run. He needs to just trust those read keys and not be fooled as much against those play actions, just being able to know the difference between the two. Yeah, for sure. And they did trade up for him. And I thought, I mean, fourth round, I thought that was a pretty desirable range. Uh, some of the other linebackers that I'm sure they had interest in went in the third round, particularly Terrell Bernard, who they have a lot of experience with from Baylor. Um, but yeah, for where for where they got him, I thought it was a good you know opportunity for you know some upside and developmental. And they're looking for a guy to replace Jermaine Carter, who they um, yeah, who moved on to Kansas City, and Damian Wilson, who they signed off the free agent. Um, scrap heap. Uh, he's dealing with some legal troubles. So, uh, you know, good opportunity for Brandon Smith here in the fourth round to really make his mark. Um, moving on uh, to the uh, offensive guard they took from Tennessee, Cade Mays. Uh, I know last year, uh, a lot of fans that really wanted Trey Smith. I, I kind of wanted him bad, but after they took Deontay Brown, which I was fine with, I like Brown as a prospect. Obviously, he had, you know, some weight issues, but you know, Carolina does take a Tennessee offensive guard this year in the sixth round. And, uh, you know, th- there seems to be, you know, some people really liked Cade Mays' game. I, I thought he looked pretty, you know, decent, especially against Georgia. I thought he held up against you know, those interior guys pretty well. Uh, I'm interested to hear what you have to say on him. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was sufficient for the most part. I think that's a great word to describe his game. Nothing really flashy, not a super athletic guy, but he's very strong along the interior. Um, could play either guard spot. I think he can play some center if you need him to. He didn't do it when he was at Tennessee or Georgia, but I think he can fill in whenever you want him to. So having that type of flexibility and versatility and just his strength at the point of attack, I think that was one of his better traits overall. And I thought that Georgia game definitely was one of the better ones, as you mentioned. Obviously, he played with a little bit more purpose in that game, especially coming from Georgia. So I think I don't think he's ever going to be a starter, honestly. But as far as that utility guy along the interior, somebody that can fill in whenever a starter goes down for two to three games or if he has to miss an extended period of time, I think he could come in and be fine. I just don't see a lot of upside there with him, honestly. Yeah, that's totally fair. I mean, he did transfer uh, from Georgia, actually. Uh, so he's an older prospect. Uh, rounding out their class, uh, they took Kalen Barnes, Boogie Barnes, as he likes to be known from Baylor. So they did, Matt Rule is reunited with one of his former 
players from Waco. Uh, very fast player. First thing that stands out. I mean, straight line speed was, you know, remarkable, especially at the combine. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because the three cone was kind of one of the worst for among cornerbacks. Uh, do you just see him ma- mainly as a special teams guy moving forward? Um, I mean, I think he could fill in in some spots. And I was able to see him at the East West Shrine. He was really impressive um, during his time there as far as playing cornerback. Honestly, I was really impressed with the way he was able to turn and run with some guys. Obviously, he has a straight line speed that you're looking for. But I think he's probably going to be a special teams guy for you primarily early on. And it's just an uphill climb for him, especially with how deep the, the Panthers are at corner. So he's probably going to be that that later on depth filler, maybe your fourth or fifth guy down the line. He has got to make his way up through special teams. But, you know, he's a really good project to have. You can't coach speed, honestly. Or obviously, I should say. But I think he's more of a depth filler at this point. But I, I like him as far as a long-term project. And, I, I mean, I think he's worth a shot in the seventh round, especially when you're talking about that speed and rounding out the roster. It's just a, just a steep hill for him to climb, especially a corner. I think that's one of the more deeper positions, especially on the Panthers roster. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And speaking of which, they did just wave uh, their 2020 fourth-round pick, Troy Pride. Um, looks like they sent a couple guys uh, from the rookie mini camp, so that's just one thing to keep in mind. But, you know, Jordan, I, I kind of want to get – I've been seeing you've been posting some guy, things already in the 2023 prospects, and we'll get to, like, you know, some of the quarterbacks and maybe some of the top players there in a second. But I just want to get uh, – maybe just – you don't have to, you know, provide all the details, but – what is your process like now that the 2022 draft is over and you have, you know, an opportunity to kind of kind of watch these guys for during the summer months before you actually start, you know, going to games during the season and scouting them in person? Yeah. So honestly, what I do, I hit the ground running right after the draft. Um, usually you see Todd McShay's first round mock draft come out for 2023 and I, as I'm finishing up my evaluations for this past year's class, I'm just jotting down some names. And I take a peek at some of these guys very early on. 2023 guys I'm talking about, you know, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, some of these guys that are projected to be uh, potential first-round players. And I just like to take a peek at them. I watch four or five games at a time, especially with quarterbacks. I like to see every game, honestly. But some of these other guys, I'll watch two or three games at a time. And I just tweet out a prospect of the day. And I'm not debating anybody or anything like that. I'm just putting out some notes that I have down for my notepad. And and I do this all the way through the month of May. I usually take the month of June off just to recharge the battery. And then I come back in July and just hit the ground running back with these guys again. So that's what I'm doing right now, just from a bird's eye view. Just looking at these quarterbacks, I heard that there's a very talented quarterback class coming up. I'm working my way through these guys now. And just looking at some other top guys, you know, like Jalen Carter, defensive tackle from Georgia, Brian Brissett, defensive tackle from Clemson, and then some of these other top guys too, like Kayshawn Butte, wide receiver from LSU, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I'm working my way through right now. So just a bird's eye view, getting a quick glimpse of some of these guys right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's going to be a pretty exciting class, not only obviously with the quarterbacks, but I mean, some of the guys you mentioned, the non-quarterbacks like Carter Butte. Uh, Jackson Smith and Njimba, um, yeah, very exciting players in their own rights. But let, let's just focus on the quarterbacks because, again, Carolina, um, they're in an interesting spot in this season. Uh, it can go one of two ways, and if it doesn't go the way that uh, Matt Rule wants it to go, which is he has to win games, then they're probably picking at the top of the draft, and it's because their quarterback play wasn't sufficient enough. I think this roster is uh, a pretty decent collection of talent uh, on offense and defense, so uh, it's going to be up to the you know, quarterback to really uh, elevate, you know, certain areas. So, yeah, as we look forward to the 2023 class, whether it's Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, 
Um, I mean, I know there's been some other names thrown out there like Levis or Van Dyke, and I kind of want to see how those guys do. Uh, They're going to have new offenses, so it's going to be a transition for them, I'm sure. But, uh, I mean, the two top guys, they're going into a situation where they're having their play caller return, whether it's Ryan Day or Bill O'Brien. What do you see out of those two? Yeah, both of them are extremely, extremely talented, especially um, both of these guys. I think they're head and shoulders of the guys that I've watched already. And I'm through about six of them right now. Uh, I just finished up Van Dyke and Levis today. Um, and I watched Young and Stroud last week. But, you know, with Bryce Young, obviously the main talking point with him is going to be his size. He's listed at six foot, 194 pounds on Alabama's roster. We'll see what he does end up coming in at. Uh, once the spring numbers are released, um, what he weighed in at a ju- at junior day, if he did weigh in, and then what his measurables were on the NFL scale. So we'll get those numbers here when the blessed old number blessed old numbers and ratings come out. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's going to be a big talking point with him. He isn't as stout as some of the shorter quarterbacks we've seen in years past, whether it was Drew Brees or Russell Wilson or even Kyler. I don't even think he's close to those size those guys' sizes. But the thing with the Bryce is that. He hasn't had any durability issues, and I think his arm, um, I would say it's not as strong as Kyler's, but I think it's up there with Russ and then also Drew Brees. I think his arm is much stronger than Drew Brees' when he was coming out. But with Bryce Young, I just think everything is so quick with him. He's extremely poised as well. The moment's never too big for him. We saw that the Auburn come back in overtime. Then also what he was able to do in the national title game, too, being down as top two wide receivers and him still going out there and producing. So I think that's something that you love to see at the position with Bryce Young. And then he just, his ball placement is just next level. I want to see him get a little bit better over the middle of the field. I think that's where he has to improve. Um, just looking at his numbers, he only completed 50, 51% of his passes over the middle of the field. And I tweeted this out. I think when you're talking about a, a shorter quarterback being an outlier, I think where they have to be good at is over the middle of the field, just because yeah. I think that's where Breeze and Russell Wilson was able to elevate themselves. And what they did was, they were they were so good at creating throwing windows, whether it was sidestepping or finding those small windows, uh, creating pockets in between uh, the center and both of the guards to where they just could step up and deliver. I think that's where Bryce Young has to take his game to the next level just because and you'll see this on film when you watch him. what happens a lot of times is that everything is out of shotgun for Alabama and he'll take these five step drops and he'll stay at what I like to call the apex of the pocket. And he'll just stand there. He'll stand there. And sometimes he'll look to escape, whether it's left or right. And he very rarely climbs up the middle of the pocket, what I like to call the eye of the storm. You want to see him climb up into the eye of the storm a little bit more. He doesn't really do that a whole bunch of tape. But if he's able to develop that part of his game, man, I I think his development can go to the next level. So um, if he's able to do that, I think we're talking about a big time quarterback prospect. But uh, with C.J. Stroud, Obviously, the size is a little bit bigger. He's six foot three, 215 pounds, only a redshirt sophomore. He's only a one-year starter last year. And just his progress from the Minnesota game, the season opener a year ago, all the way through that Rose Bowl game. I mean, his growth was just phenomenal to watch. And I don't think he has a super strong arm. And I tweeted this out today. I think it's probably B-plus level. Uh, I think that's very fair for him. But he's just so good at operating the offense, his eyes and his feet are always just tied together. I want to see him create a little bit more velocity on his balls. What happens a lot of times is that, um, and I'm pretty sure you saw this study in Garrett Wilson, is that he'll put the ball in the strike zone, but it just will be all over the place. Like Garrett Wilson will be running a shallow crosser, but he'll have to jump for it or he'll have to reach down low to dig it out. 
and he puts it in the right area, but he just has to get a little bit better as far as putting it on the right areas. So that's where I just want to see him improve. But his growth from the first game to the last game was terrific. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember you know, the game against Minnesota. He had, I mean, that first half was kind of a struggle for him. Even against Oregon, he had some issues. Um, but just his upward trajectory throughout the year was very encouraging to watch. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, about Bryce Young, about his, yeah, he, he, I've noticed that too, where he just, as soon as he takes a five-step drop, he stands there. He doesn't necessarily climb up. And one thing that made Drew Brees great, despite being short, is he had the subtle, you know, head fakes and just manipulating the underneath defenders to create throwing windows, like you said. And I mean, that, that's really advanced stuff, obviously, but, um, but it's going to be interesting to watch these two guys. And, and they're both, if I'm not mistaken, from Southern California, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> quite quite the rivalry going down there. Yeah. I, mean, I wonder what you know who else is going to come from that pipeline um, in the next few years or so. But uh, Jordan, um, thank you again for joining us. Is there anything that you're working on this summer that kind of want us to pay attention to, or uh, should we just check out your Twitter for more content? Yeah, everything's on Twitter right now. Um, my boss has told me to go into witness protection as far as me taking a break from from all of the draft stuff. But you know me, um, I'm, a, I'm a scout at heart. So I'm always just trying to get a jump ahead on some of these young guys, especially 2023, just working my way through some of these um, quote unquote top 32. So I'm working my way through that. Going to take the whole month of June off, enjoy some time with the family, recharge the battery, and then come back ready to hit the ground running in July. So I'm tweeting out a prospect a day, though, only doing one a day, just some of these guys that I'm looking over. So uh, just be on the lookout for that. Uh, you can follow me at Jordan underscore Reed. That's J-O-R-D-A-N underscore R-E-I-D. I'm tweeting out a prospect a day. And that's pretty much all I'm doing right now, honestly. Yeah, make sure you guys follow that. Just to get familiarize yourself with some of the top names. So when you go into Saturdays next fall, you have an idea of who to watch, uh, but Jordan, I really appreciate the time. I know you're busy, um, but can't thank you enough for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks as always, Billy. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.